If you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Romans. Romans, and we're going to be in chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. And today is the fifth week in a series of messages. We've simply been using the phrase, when my world falls apart. When my world falls apart. It's been a series about suffering in this world. It's been a series about when people we love die. It's a series about cancer and suffering and difficult things, accidents and tragedies. And the questions that we have just simply been asking is when our world falls apart, how will we respond? And for some of us who have been here over this series, this introduction, you've heard it over and over again. But the reality as a pastor is I see this over and over. I see empty chairs in our place, in our, in our church. People used to sit in those spots uh, until something happened in their life and something fell apart for them, uh, something changed and a tragedy struck or whatever, and their faith in God fell apart with it. Uh, and, and this is something we see again and again. And what we want for you is that when, you, when something happens in your life, and I say when, not if, because it's only a matter of time, if you are not in the middle of a season of suffering, you are either just coming out of it or just going into it. It's just kind of the way that our world works. Uh, we, we live in a broken place that is a messy thing. We have stuff all of the time. That, but we want you, in the middle of your suffering, to turn to God, not turn away from Him. And that's what this is really about And we found if we have an inaccurate view of suffering and God, when difficult circumstances arrive, okay, we will weaken, it will weaken our faith in him and sometimes even completely destroy it. All right. So we've learned a few things over the past few weeks. We've learned that suffering in the Bible is talked about actually in a good way in a positive way, as it can lead you to a stronger faith. It can lead you to uh, knowing Jesus in a different way. We talked about that stuff. We also learned that God promises to use all things for the good of those who love him. Good things, bad things, even our sin. We talked about that. You respond with humble repentance. God can use that to grow you. You respond with humble dependence. God uses your, your, your suffering for good in your life and in other ways. Okay, we talked about all of that stuff. God is not the author of suffering. The world he created is perfect, uh, was perfect, but our sin messed all of this up. The result is disease and death and natural disasters and all of that type of stuff. I'm almost done with the introduction, I promise, because I'm excited for where we're going. Uh, But naturally, when tragedy strikes, we want to ask why. When things happen in our lives, we say, why? Uh, but from a biblical sp- perspective, there simply is not always an answer of why. Sometimes the answer is simply that our world is very broken and that people do things and all of that. This world is not as God intended. Instead of spending our time asking why, let's begin to focus our attention on trusting God even in the midst of our suffering, and we will see incredible things come from that. As I mentioned a moment ago, next Sunday we have a guest speaker. Uh, No online church for that. Two weeks from today is Mother's Day. And we're going to have a special service for mothers. Um, I was originally planning on this series being done today, uh, but I'm going to take a different angle and actually do two more weeks on this. Mother's Day will be one of them. As we, we're, going to, we're going to talk about how to pray in the midst of our suffering. And we're going to talk about miracles. And we're going to talk about God doing impossible things. Um, and how do we understand a God who does miracles but doesn't 
always seem to do miracles, at least not in the way we're asking. And so we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, uh, and uh, we'll have gifts for the moms, and it's going to be great. And for the women, we're going to pray together, and it's just going to be a good thing. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say that was the longest introduction in the history of the world, and he does a lot of long introductions. All right, stand with me all over this place, and let's read our passage of Scripture just for today. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we are going to start with verse number 18, but then we're going to skip to verse 31 and read about 10 or 11 verses uh, right there quickly, okay? So here we go. Uh, Here's what it says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, somebody. All right, let's pray. God, we pause for a moment just to invite you into this right here, right now. We pray and ask that as we open up your very word, that significant things would come, that supernatural things would happen, that you would bring hope to those that need that, bring encouragement to those that need to be encouraged, that you would help our mindset on suffering and you change into an accurate understanding of this stuff, Lord. We reach out to you and cry out to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, come on. Rowdy bunch today. Uh, Want to start with a question. Have you ever heard somebody say the phrase or say this, I have good news and I have bad news? Of course, you've heard that. Uh, I have good news. And then the next question is always, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want to hear first? How many in the place you'd rather hear the good news first? Okay, wow, nobody wants to raise their hand. How many are like, I want the bad news first? There we go. Rip the Band-Aid off, get it over with, and let's get get on to the good news. I like that. Um, I remember a few years ago now uh, when we we did a pretty significant expansion onto our church building here. We needed it. Like uh, God had been moving in our church family, and, and we were parking on the grass, and it was kind of a mess around here, and our, fam- our church family was so excited for what God was doing. And we get into this construction phase, 
and we have things all over, and there's a, a plastic wall that's like hanging up over on this side, and I don't know if you remember those days uh, back in 2017-18 and that type of stuff, um, and I remember standing up here on Sunday morning at one point and saying, I have good news and I have bad news, and it was in the middle of all this, and I said this, I said, the good news is our bathrooms are getting redone. And they're going to be awesome. And because it was awful. Like there's a line to get to the toilet at that time because there was no bathroom space. And, and we just, it, we, you're there, I said, there's, the good news is there's going to be so many stalls. It's going to be incredible. It's going to smell better in there. It's going to be all, that's the good news. And then I said, the bad news is during construction, we're going to have porta potties outside on the sidewalk, and I know it's the middle of the winter, and I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You're going to have to figure it out. There's good news, and there's bad news. And, and actually, we look back as, as pastors and laugh about this because um, that season where we had bathrooms, we had porta-potties outside in the middle of the winter was probably the number one numerical growth season of our church's history. Like we, we had bathrooms inside and we put them outside and all of a sudden people start coming like crazy to church. And so I don't know what to say about that, but uh, it, it's, it might be a growth strategy. We're thinking about writing a book and doing, telling people to do that. But no, but I've got good news and I have bad news. And well, the Apostle Paul, who is writing the, the, the book of Romans, this, this, it's this beautiful letter that he writes, and he sends it to these people, this church, these Christians in Rome. Paul had never met them. He had never been to this place. Uh, Rome is a hard place to live if you want to be a Christian in the first century. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but in the midst of this letter, right in the middle of it, Romans chapter 8, he goes on this rant, and it's all about suffering. Like it's this lengthy thing, suffering in this world is kind of the heading of this entire thing. And in a very simplistic way of looking at it, Paul pretty much is just going to write, hey, I got good news and I have bad news. I have good news and I have bad news. Let me give you the bad news first, is what Paul says. And he basically just writes and says, you're going to suffer in this world. There will be suffering. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, like you are going to go through seasons of tragedy and suffering. Uh, he tells these people, you will be persecuted for your faith. In different places, he's going to say, some of us are going to die. And we know this from history that the Apostle Paul, a few years later, is going to have his head cut off in Rome. That is how he's going to die, for his faith in Jesus. And so he writes this stuff, and he writes, and he says, the bad news, everybody, you will suffer in this world. Yay, okay? And uh, he writes this, and he writes things like creation is frustrated. Creation is in bondage and decay, and it's waiting to be restored. But right now, our world is broken. This world is not as God intended it to be. And unfortunately, that means death and sickness. And all of this is like, there are evil people doing evil things and cancer and all of that. That's the bad news. It's not how God had intended it to be, but it is bad news. You will suffer in this world. But then he says but there's a whole bunch of good news. And he goes through this entire section on suffering, one after another, giving good news 
about suffering and good news in the midst of it. And in this section, like he brings up some different things. He, he, we, we've talked about these. Suffering strengthens our faith and suffering helps us know Christ deeper. God uses suffering for the good. That's Romans 8.28. God uses suffering for the good of those who love him. Bad news, you will suffer good news. There are all sorts of things that God does and ways that God works in suffering that seems to be unique. It, like, like there are things you will experience in your relationship with God that if you did not suffer, you would not experience this in the same way as you see God come alongside you in the midst of your darkest junk and the, the worst valleys you could be a part of, okay? Uh, so today, I want to talk through some of what we have read over the past few weeks. We're re-looking at some of it, uh, looking for the good news in suffering. Smile and say, there's good news in suffering, yeah, that's a weird thing to say, isn't it? It feels funny. So let's start with verse number 18. Again, this is Romans chapter 8. We read this like three weeks ago. But this is good news, though when we hear it, it doesn't really sound like good news. It kind of, like it doesn't sound that encouraging. But let's read this together. This is verse 18. He writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay, it's kind of strange language there. I put a second scripture on the screen with that one, also written by Paul, but this is a different time in his life, and he writes this to different people. Same type of thing, though. He writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that we will be revealed in us. And in the second one, he just calls suffering in this world light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary troubles. And if you're like me and you're looking up at this and you're like, man, some of my sufferings and some of the stuff that you're going through doesn't feel so light and momentary. Do you know what I'm talking about? But Paul seems to carry with him a different understanding of this life that we live. And, and we say stuff like this often about how this world is short, life is short, and different things. But when we actually come and comes down to it for us, we feel and live often like this time right here is all that there is. And this right here is all that really, that really matters, okay? So a couple things here. First, um, Understand that both of these passages of Scripture come from letters that Paul wrote to people who were suffering. And in each one of these letters, he talks about this in detail in this different way. The first century Christians living in the Roman Empire, life is hard. And it's to these people writes, hey, these present sufferings, momentary troubles to you living in Rome. Yeah, like they're pretty much nothing. The suffering you have is pretty much nothing compared to the amazingness that is coming one day for the followers of Jesus. Paul can seem to come across so calloused and like not compassionate about the horrendous things that Christians are facing. Like, I mean, just to take this to an extreme, someone who reads this in this context could literally say, oh, so my dad who was burned at the stake for being a Christian in Rome, 
that's momentary and light troubles, Paul. This is the situation that we have. It's messed up. It's kind of weird. And we can think, read this stuff and think like, yikes, where's this dude's heart? Like, this is, this is harsh. But Paul writes this stuff from a different place in his faith journey than most Christians ever get to. Paul carries with him a very, in a very extreme way the idea that this life that we live here on earth is so temporary. The life that we live, the 80, 90, whatever years that we live here on earth is like a blip on the radar screen of our overall existence. We are aliens here. We are foreigners here. Our time here on earth is like it is short. Okay? Uh, and, and so this is Paul. This is the way that he lives right here. Some of you have seen us do an illustration, use an illustration with a rope to explain this and talk about life here. And so picture with me, I'm just going to go through this quick this time. Picture with me that I'm holding the end of a rope in my hand. Can you see it? Right there, there it is. Okay, what color is it? You can pick, you can pick the color of the rope all by yourself. All right, but picture that this rope just rolls down and it goes around and then it goes out the door and down the highway. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles of this rope and I'm holding on the very end of it. And now also just picture at the very end, about, about an inch on the end, is a little piece of tape. And it's wrapped around it on the end. And here's the illustration. This rope represents the, the time frame of our existence as people. Our existence, this little piece of tape on the very end of hundreds and hundreds of miles on, of rope, represents the time of our, the part of our existence that we live here on earth. And we're right here, and we go to school right here on the end, and then we graduate, and we get married, and we find that person, and then we have kids, and we get a house, and we work hard, and we build wealth, and we put money aside for retirement, and all of that, and then hopefully someday we get to retire, and then we're going to all of our hard work for all those years, and years, and years, and years. Now I can travel, and I can eat well, and I can have stuff, and all of these type of things, and this is the way that we think about our life here on earth when in reality this is one little tiny piece of millions and millions of years the Bible uses the word eternity the word eternity means without end the word is forever for those of you who watch Sandlot like I did okay forever but we don't understand forever do we we can't grasp forever. We stand in Walmart and we get in line and we say, this is taking forever. Okay? We, we, we don't understand this. The life that we live here on earth is so stinking temporary compared to our overall existence where we will spend, you will spend your eternity someplace else. And the scripture talks so clearly about the time that we spend in this little right here has everything to do with what our forever is going to look like someday. That's, that's good, huh? That's hard, okay? What do we do with that? Paul says, bad news, you're going to suffer. This world is broken. But good news, this is so temporary here. It's momentary and you will spend eternity in beauty and glory with no sin and no death and no pain. All right, let's move on. Skip ahead to verse number 31. Again, this is Romans chapter 8. 
says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What should we say in response to these things? What are, what are these things? Well, this is the end of a section of scripture that is titled uh, in your Bible, Present Suffering and Future Glory. Three verses earlier, Paul has written, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. These things in this verse is directly referring to suffering in this world. He's talking about the bad news. And he says, here's what we say about suffering in this world. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's these amazing, encouraging, powerful words spoken over these Christians who are suffering in Rome in different ways. Uh, and, and he's going to say this in a few different ways over the next few verses. Now, it's important to understand what Paul's not saying when he says this phrase. He, what he's not saying is that if you're a Christian and you pray hard enough or whatever, then God will keep you from ever having a bad thing happen. It's not what he's saying. That's not what this means. That he'll protect you and your family. He'll keep you from getting sick. He'll keep you from the Romans. See, the problem with that type of thinking is that it just wasn't a reality for the Christians in the first century that he wrote this to. It wasn't their reality. And sometimes I feel like, like can, can I just be super transparent about some things that we do as Christians that I just don't know what to do with? Um, you know, th this, a couple days ago, we were, at a, we were at this cool play in the cities and it was really late and we're driving home and it's, it's like literally one o'clock in the morning and, and we've made it from the cities almost. We're in like the Melrose area and it's dark, it's, I'm driving and all this type of stuff. And a deer all of a sudden just like comes out of nowhere. And, and the thing is super close to our car. I, we just missed it. But the, the response that we had as Christians was... Thank you, God, for protecting us. Now, now, now let, me, let me kind of flesh this out a little bit because I'm working out some of this in my life. I think that we carry, we carry with us sometimes a thought. None of this is in my notes, so this is kind of scary for me. Um, sometimes we carry with us a thought that, that, God, that God is protecting us from some things that are happening. But what do we do when we hit the deer, what, what, what about if I didn't hit the deer, but you do? Does this mean that God was protecting my car, but not yours? Like, understand the complexity in some of this. Some of the things that we say in this world cause us to now, at the other side, say, God protects me when things are good, but what happens when things are not good? I'm just trying to be transparent here about some of the mess and some of these words. I'm not saying God doesn't protect us. I, don't, I believe that. I think that's even in the Bible. But depending, depending on how we choose to use language in those situations, we can set ourselves up for different things. And right here we see if God is for us, like who can be against us? He writes this to people who are going to see some of their family members murdered. There's complexity in some of these types of things here, okay? Uh, we'll move on. If God is for us, like, 
then who can be against us? And, what, and, and all of that type of stuff. Let's move on and see what happens. What shall we say if God is for us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Okay, a few things here. In saying God is for us, okay, Paul brings up God giving up his son Jesus for us. God is for us. He didn't even spare his own son. He gave up his son. And there's this picture of a courtroom setting is what we have in the language. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's like we're on trial and there's someone accusing us. And we could say it even this way, like the devil is pleading his case against our bad and our sin and our guilt and all of that, making his case against us. But Paul says, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? chosen whom God has justified. The implication here is that no one can. Why? Because God is for us and Jesus died and rose again. Now don't miss what's happening here. I'm kind of connecting some things uh, as we build a little mountain together. Paul is writing to people who are suffering and what he does is immediately remind them of the gospel message of what God has done. You are suffering in this world, but listen, like God is for you. And he reminds them of what Jesus did on the cross and how they are not accused and they are free and all of that type of stuff. He, he continues, verse 34. We gotta get, gotta get through this section. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Who condemns us? Nobody. Jesus died, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. Such a cool picture, praying. Jesus is interceding for suffering Christians, is what we could make of that picture. He's interceding for you. Uh, praying to God the Father for you and for your situation. And then Paul drives this home, and I love this part, with one of the most memorable quoted passages in the scripture. Uh, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, the word who here uh, is the Greek word. It's just tis, T-I-S. It can also be translated who, but it can be translated as what as well. Who or what can separate us from the love of Jesus clearly implying that no one can, and he fleshes this out, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. Okay, trouble, all of the, you know, you know what that list is? Trouble, hardship, persecution. That is a list of suffering is what it is. Trouble, suffering, hardship, suffering, persecution, suffering, famine, suffering, nakedness, kind of a weird one to have in there for us, but okay, like you don't even have clothes on your back, suffering, danger with the sword, suffering. Now this is important here, don't miss this, there are some who when they suffer, there are some of us even, who when we go through difficult, horrible things in our life, the question we ask is, does God even love me? I'm facing this stuff. What does this mean about God and me? And Paul wants to make this crystal clear to the, these first century Christians. Suffering in this world does not mean God loves you any less than anybody else. 
Like, and then he gives this list implying that none of these things have separated us from the love of God. And then verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is so cool when you look this up. Uh, the original language that this Bible, part of the Bible was written in is Greek. And so we have all sorts of Greek words that have been translated into English. Uh, Paul in the, in the Greek here, scholars think he made up a word. That's cool, isn't it? Like he takes, he takes two words, Greek words, and he puts them together. And he makes a new word up. Uh, the word is translated into English as this phrase, more than conquerors. But this word is one word in the Greek. And it's so fantastic. It's not even a real word. The made up Greek word is hypernikeo. That's, you've heard that one before, haven't you? No. Hypernikaio. It's two Greek words. Greek, the word hyper and the word nikaio. The Greek word hyper simply means seventh grade boy with Red Bull. And <laughs> wait, no, I missed that. Uh, hyper, hyper the, word, the Greek word hyper just means over or exaggerated. It just means exaggerated or above. The word nikaio means to conquer. It's a war word where you would defeat an enemy in this way. And so Paul takes these two words, over, above, exaggerated, and to conquer, and he combines them and he makes this new compound Greek word. We are hyper nikaio. It's Paul's word. We are over conquerors. We are above conquerors. We are more than conquerors is the English translation that we have on that. But hold on a second. I thought these people were suffering. How can they be more than conquerors? And some of them are going to die for their faith. This is, what is going on here? Like, are these people just toughing it out and they're going to fight through because they're conquerors? Like, no, 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 no. Paul writes, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through him who loved us. Our conquering is really not about us doing anything. It has something to do with the love of God. And then Paul ends this section on suffering with these words. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus. There's nothing they can do to you that can separate you. There's nothing you can do in this world that can separate you from the love of God that he has for you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how good things are going for you compared to somebody else. It's not based on anything you have done or haven't done or how many church services that you have attended or how much money you have given away. The, okay? the bad, the good, God's love... Does, none of that is in the equation when it comes to the love of God that is freely given. And that's how Paul ends his rant on suffering in this world. Music team, will you please come? Now, allow me to kind of quickly review and put this all together as we're almost done. Okay, first, Paul, Paul just builds this case and he writes this letter to these people who were suffering greatly in this world. And he says, this world is not our home. This world is so temporary. This world is a little tiny piece of tape on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of miles of a rope. And you are going to spend 
eternity with God. There'll be no crying. There'll be no fear. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no natural disasters and genocides and abuse. There'll be no divorce and pain. There'll be none of that. All of that stuff is this little blip on the radar screen of our existence. Your momentary and light troubles. And I know, I know, I know when you are in the middle of something so heavy in your life, how can that even matter? As I'm watching my dad wither away or I'm watching, okay, I, I, I am with you on this. And I am filled with all sorts of questions as I read Paul's response to these people in different ways. But for Paul, and in the word of God, he seems to make it so important to tell the, these people that this world is temporary. Number two, God loves us immensely. Your, your suffering does not mean for a moment that God doesn't love you. Your suffering in this world does not mean that he is angry with you, that he is punishing you, that he is doing any of that. Scripturally, in the midst of suffering, the Apostle Paul takes a good chunk of scripture and says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No hardship, no suffering, no trouble, no nothing. Demons and whatever else, and he lists all this type of stuff, persecution. None of that can separate you from a God that loves you so immensely. You are loved by God. You are loved. And third, we have this interesting idea that we are more than conquerors and there is victory in Jesus because of his love. We are above conquerors. We are, okay, it's this funny word in the Greek, but the idea is with God on our side, there is victory. There is victory, not in our own strength, not in our own fighting with the battle and whatever else and all that type of stuff, and we fight, but when we rely on God, now it's so easy for us to look at this and say, that means, or that should mean, that everything is gonna turn out exactly how I think that it should, in Jesus doesn't work like that, but there is victory that is promised. Will you stand with me all over this place? God, we pause for a moment just to respond to your very word that speaks to every situation we could ever encounter and ever imagine. There are many of us in this place right now who are in the middle of difficult situations and difficult circumstances, God. And there are many that look back on their life at the tragedy and the suffering. And some of that stuff even lingers today as we have lost loved ones, as we have 30 years ago experienced abuse or something and that's still that is still gripping us even today. God, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is not the way you intended it, but we know scripturally, God, that you come right next to those who call on your name. And we know, God, that you are right there beside us, that you never leave us and never forsake us, that you love us in the midst of all of the mess, in the midst of all of our suffering, in every piece and every part, God. 
We know you do miracles, but God, we know sometimes things don't work out the way we want them to and the way we think that they should. And Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded again and again and again that you are there, that you love us, that you are working things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we submit our hearts and our minds to you. We learn to trust you even through and even though. We thank you, God, that you care. We thank you, God, that you love us. We worship you today in your name. If you're here today and you're in the middle of a difficult situation in your life, in your family, or in someone you love, we just, we just put a hand up. We just want to pray together as a church family. Don't feel ashamed of that. God, we come to you today with our stuff, serious needs, terminal things from doctors. God, there are some even watching behind a screen right now who cannot get out of their bed. And Lord, I just pray, I pray that you would do what you have promised. I pray that you would use these things for good, all things for the good of those who love you. We pray that you would use these things for your glory. We pray that miraculous things would happen behind the scenes and lives would be impacted and changed because of this mess that we are in right now. God, I pray that we would trust you in ways like we have never trusted you before, that we would watch as you move behind the scenes. God, not always in the way that we would choose, not always in the things and that we want, God, but that you would work and that you would move and that lives would be impacted for your glory because of the stuff that we are in the midst of right now. I pray, God, for supernatural moments to take place, that as family members gather together to pray, even some for the very first time, that you would show up in hospital rooms and bedrooms and living rooms and that we would feel you so close and know that you are near. God, we thank you that this world is temporary and that we will live one day with you in beauty where there is no pain and there is no suffering. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, one, one last thing before we're done. Maybe you're here today and, and you have never responded to the message of Jesus, a message that God loves you, a message that uh, he sent his son to die for you, that you can be forgiven, that you can be free and all of that. If you're here and you've never responded to that, I'm not asking you if you go to church or if you've been baptized or confirmed. There's a heart decision deep down where you say yes to what God has done. And with no one looking around, just a moment of privacy and reflection. If you're here today and you would just simply say, I want to respond to the message of Jesus today to be forgiven and all of that. If that's you and you've never done that before, I just wanna ask you to lift up your hand. I just wanna pray for you today. I just wanna pray. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else that would say, yes, this is my moment. If you're watching behind a screen right now, you can respond to this as well. It's a heart thing between you and God. But church, let's just say a prayer together. Everyone in this place, let's pray. Pray, Father God, 
I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray.